The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say, you will become free? Jesus responded, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father, so then you do what you have heard from your father. Our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. We weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, because I came from God, and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature, because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. The Jews responded to him, Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? I do not have a demon, Jesus answered. On the contrary, I honor my father and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Then the Jews said, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you claim to be? If I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My father, about whom you say, he is our God. He is the one who glorifies me. You do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say, I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews replied, you aren't 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple. The gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. 
I've just got to begin by saying how wonderful it is to sing, excuse me, to sing Be Thou My Vision in this moment with you. It's my favorite hymn. I don't know if it's a favorite of any of you, but it's absolutely beautiful. My name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. And before we dive into John 8, would you bow your heads with me as I share a brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me begin by asking this question. When was the last time you were welcomed with radical hospitality? As written in an article in the Washington Post, On February 23rd, Chelsea Timmons delivers groceries on weekends to make extra money. And as she pulled up to a client's long, sloped driveway in Austin, things suddenly took a bad turn. Her car began to slide uncontrollably toward the client's house. It was Valentine's Day in the historic storm that devastated Texas had just begun. Timmons thought she could make one more delivery and head home, not realizing the magnitude of the storm or how icy the inclined driveway would be. Quote, I closed my eyes and prayed, please, please don't let me hit their house and wreck my car. Timmons recalled, age 32. Instead, she crashed into the homeowner's flower beds, then took out a small tree before her Toyota RAV4 came to a rest. Quote, I tried to back up. That just made it worse, said Timmons, who was overcome with feelings of dread. Timmons next texted the client inside the house that she was stuck in the driveway. And that's when the homeowner, Doug Condon, came quickly outside. Condon tried to help her free her car, but it was useless. They realized they could not free her car. And then Condon and his wife, Nina Richardson, told Timmons to come inside and get warm while they waited on a tow truck. Timmons, who was grateful to be out of the storm, told the couple she lived three hours away in Houston and spends her weekends in Austin making deliveries of groceries because the money is better in Austin. Now listen to this part of the story. After making several calls for several hours, Timmons said it dawned on her that help was not coming. Nobody nobody could come because the roads were terrible and accidents were piling up all around Texas. At this point, Condon and Richardson realized they could send Timmons back out into the storm or they could invite her to stay. So what did they do? They invited her to stay and make herself at home. Richardson would go on to prepare a Valentine's Day dinner of steaks, potatoes, broccoli, 
and salad with the groceries that this young lady had just delivered, and the three would share a special meal together. Condon said we were lucky. Our lights stayed on, and we were warm. We got to know each other over dinner, and soon any awkwardness disappeared. Quote, we just became friends, the wife said. She's a wonderful, sweet young woman. We couldn't imagine sending her out in the dark on dangerous roads. Now catch this. Because the storm persisted, what was expected to be one night stretched out to five nights together. The young woman, Timon, said she wept tears of gratitude in her room several times during that week, touched that the couple had taken a chance and opened their home to her. She even grew close to the couple's puppies. Take a look. Isn't that great? And then there's another picture of Timmons with the couple. See her big smile? When she finally was able to leave, the young woman shared, How amazingly blessed I am. Blessed out of all the places for my car to get stuck. It was stuck in their flower bed and not in a ditch. Blessed that they were willing to let the delivery driver into their home in the midst of a pandemic. Blessed that during the time of a food shortage, they were willing to share their meals with me. I can't believe everything that's happened. I am beyond grateful that I've been able to find comfort with strangers during this unprecedented storm. It's a beautiful story, right? The reason I share it is because the words of Jesus in our passage today also resemble radical hospitality. They're provocatively invitational and relational, inviting anyone in any place to come to him. In simple yet beautiful terms, Jesus invites us to be with him so we can be okay. And yet, sorry Garth, it was a hard passage. And yet, perhaps in the strongest tone we see in all of Scripture, Jesus' words turn controversial at the end of our passage, don't they? Facing an unprecedented storm, Jesus demands that his listeners not only wrestle with who he is, but who they are as well. Thus, as was the case with the early listeners, today's passage may comfort and offend us. And as I'm sure was Jesus' aim, we will be left with the choice. Trust in Jesus or trust in someone else. For with Jesus, there's no middle ground. This leads us to our big idea today, our big takeaway. Jesus wants to set us free and make us family. But first, we must get real with ourselves. Point one, Jesus wants to set us free and make us family, Rick. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you're really my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We're descendants of Abraham, they answered him. We've never been enslaved to anyone. 
How can you say you will become free? Well, Jesus responded, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. A slave does not remain in the house forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, as another translation puts it, you will be free indeed. First, let me provide a little background information on our passage. We looked at this last week, but in the middle of one of Israel's high pilgrim festivals, the Feast of Tabernacles, where Jewish men from around the world had come to the temple in Jerusalem to celebrate God's deliverance of his people from Egypt to the promised land by way of a massive pillar of fire by night. A setting where huge candelabra would have lit the night sky, lit the walls of the temple, lit the city of Jerusalem where, where men and people would be dancing all night with torches lit aflame. That's where Jesus stood up earlier in John 8. And he said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And in so doing, Jesus had turned the festival on its head, proclaiming he was the one, the great I am from Exodus chapter 3, who had led the ancient Israelites from wandering in the wilderness to the dawn of a new day. Understandably, Jesus had upset a lot of people. Now as we continue in our passage, we see that Jesus doesn't, he doesn't back away from the controversy. He steps further into it. And he does so by issuing an invitation, Rowan. He says, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So what does Jesus mean? Well, depending on your personality or tradition, you might hear Jesus' words in different ways, okay? This is, Ray, we're going to do a little congregational participation here, okay? If you're from a background that emphasizes behavior, you might hear continue in my word as a sort of call to compliance or right living. Any of you hear Jesus' words like that? Give me a wink. Okay. If you're from a background that emphasizes intellect, you might hear continue in my word as a sort of call to understanding or right thinking. Any of you hear Jesus' words like that? Give me a slight nod. Okay. You're a hard audience. If you're from a background that emphasizes experience, you might hear continue in my word as a sort of equation to create right feelings. Any of you hear his words like that? Give me a smile. It's a trick. I can't see through the mask. What if I told you there is greater depth and beauty to Jesus' words than any of these interpretations? You see, if we dive just a little bit deeper into this passage, we will see Jesus' invitation. It hinges on one word, and he repeats it three times. And in the original language, it's a simple word, and you've heard it before in other passages. It's the word meno. And he, Jesus uses, a, uses this root word 
first in verse 31 and then twice in verse 35. And this word means stay, continue, abide, or remain. To make it more understandable for our current context, some theologians even translate it, make your home in. Thus, in simple terms, this is the invitation Jesus offers us this morning. Make your home with me, Colleen. Make your home in my word. You will be safe and you will be free. Make your home with me. Now, thinking back to our opening illustration with a young woman named Timmons, in thinking about the world in which we live, this is quite the invitation, isn't it? Facing darkness and uncertainty, Jesus says, Ryan, come inside and stay with me. I actually think this Invi- excuse me, invitation strikes to the very core of our heart's longings, where each of us long for a love that will last not only through the night, but will stay with us through the morning. A love that will be faithful and true through all the days and all the weeks and all the ever-changing years of our lives. In a song that's become one of the most popular songs of our times, winning a Grammy Award and garnering worldwide fame, Sam Smith, a popular R&B artist, exposes the longing of our hearts by writing these words. Oh, won't you stay with me? Because you're all I need. This ain't love, it's clear to see, but darling, stay with me. You ever hear that? You see, our world is longing for a love that will stay. And Jesus says to each one of us, stay, stay, stay with me. And if we stay with him and make our home in his word, Jesus says the very nature of who we are will actually change. A slave does not remain or stay in the house forever, but a son does remain or stay forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. And this is not only language of love, it's language of liberation. This is the promise of moving us from outsiders to insiders. This is the language of family, where our place is secure forever. And it begs the question, do you feel secure and safe today in God's love? That is Jesus's heart for you, no matter where you come from, no matter what you carried in, no matter where you are in life. Jesus says, come in and stay with me. And yet, to embrace this invitation It calls for something from us. And this leads us to point two. We must get real with ourselves. The passage continues. I speak what I've seen in the presence of the Father. So then, you do what you've heard from your father. Well, our father is Abraham, they replied. Well, if you are Abraham's kids, Jesus told them, 
you would do what Abraham did, but now you're trying to kill me. A man who's told you the truth that I've heard from God, Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. And then they take a jab at him. We weren't born of sexual immorality like someone else. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Because I came from God and I'm here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Whoa. And just like that, our picture of Jesus as Mr. Rogers quickly evaporates. And we see Jesus speak the truth with such directness that soon the religious leaders of his day want to kill him. So what happens here? What's he saying? Why is he saying it? Well, Jesus issues a warning, an unsettling warning, that if we trust in anything or anyone other than him, we're doomed. I'll never forget the late phone call I got from my wife years ago when she was visiting her family in Minnesota. Anyone from Minnesota here today? Online, anyone from Minnesota? How about uh, North Dakota? Just North Dakota? I know, I see you too. Welcome. <laughs> anyone from the Midwest? Any other Midwesterners? Okay, yeah, we get a few, a few more. So I got this phone call one night, late at night, from my wife. She was visiting her family in Minneapolis, just outside. And it was the middle of the night when all of a sudden tornado sirens started sounding throughout the town of Brooklyn Park. Now, I'm from Florida. We don't have tornado sirens, but here's what happens. And all of a sudden, Carly had to go and run and get our kids along with her brother and her sister-in-law and her parents, and they start sprinting to her parents' basement. And that's when she called me in a panic, asking me to pray. I actually remember hearing crying in the background. Everyone was so scared. And then there were screams because all the lights went out, not only in the house, but in the neighborhood and much of Brooklyn park. And my family, they were left in terror and utter darkness. And thankfully, they avoided tragedy that day. The reason I share this story is Jesus's words in our passage are meant to be like sirens for us. Not just for the original audience, but for us as well. Not to scare us, but to save us. You see, Jesus' original audience didn't think they were in danger because as Israelites, they were children of Abraham. You see, they missed the heart of the matter, which Jesus points out at the very end of our passage, that Abraham himself looked forward to a messianic day. One could say that they placed their faith in their heritage. 
And as one writer puts it, while a godly heritage is of inestimable, I'm not saying that correct, inestimable, I can't say it, of incredible value. (laughs) While godly heritage comes with incredible value, it does not guarantee spiritual health. It doesn't matter what your parent believed. It doesn't matter what your grandparents believed. The question Jesus is saying is, what do you believe? Similarly, many of us also place our faith in our highest affection in things that will not save us. Now, this is a bit of a gut check. For some, it might be our political party. That's where our hope lies. For others, it might be our race. That's where our hope lies. For others, it might be our health and our wealth. That's where our hope lies. For others, it might be our family or the hope for a particular relationship. That's where our hope lies. Let me be clear. It's not that these things aren't important. The problem comes when we make the things we deem important in life our ultimate thing in life. And that's the warning we see in our passage. Unless our trust and affection ultimately lie in Jesus, we're doomed. We either love Jesus as the Son of God, verses 36 and 42, and we either listen to and keep the Word of God, verses 31, 47, 51, or Jesus says we are part of a cosmic lie that is intended to separate us from God. Verse 44. Do you see it? So our passage provokes these questions for each of us to answer. Who holds your hope this morning? If it's not Jesus, who is it? And if you call yourself a believer like the people did in this passage, do you find that your love of Jesus transcends all other loves and affections? And lastly, if you call yourself a believer, do you read and keep the word of God even when it goes against the grain of what our postmodern culture says is best for you? I believe this quote from the late Dietrich Bonhoeffer gets to the heart of our passage. Our hearts have room for only one all-embracing devotion, and we can only cleave to one Lord. And Jesus invites each one of us to cleave to him and to stay. Stay. Bryce, Jesus says, stay with me. Friends, Jesus wants to set us free and make us family. But first, we must be real with ourselves. So in closing, I want to challenge you to do one thing today. I want you to invite God to examine your heart and expose the one thing that fires you up the most, that you protect the most, or you obsess over the most. And I want you to confess it to Jesus. Ask him to take you in 
as you leave it behind. And just to solidify your confession and in line with Scripture, I invite you to share what you confess with a trusted friend. And then I want you to stay with Jesus this week. Commit to making your home in his word for the next seven days, either through reading a psalm a day or going through a plan like the Bible in one year. And as you read, I want to invite you to let the beauty and the power of the word stay to sink into the very marrow of your bones. Stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me is the invitation of Jesus to all of us today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this comforting and challenging word. We know Jesus didn't come to scare us, but to save us. But sometimes it's, it's hard to hear his words. May we turn away from the things that we hold most dear and make you most dear today. Jesus, would you be our Lord and our Savior today in all things and all ways? We pray in your name. Amen.